Is he the killer? Is he is he a serial killer who's just killing? Well, hello, Michelle. Looking jaunty in green. Happy Pat's Day. Thank you very much. I have got a little leprechaun hat. That's not even Irish. I don't know what that is. I don't know what was. that is. No, but it was a good attempt, Michelle. Well done. Thank you. I you're like the, it when you try. You're the one with all the good accents. Do an Irish one. To be sure, to be sure. No, I can't do that. Let me think. Um, depends if you want Northern Irish or Southern Irish. Oh I'm really God. enjoying my Northern at the moment, which is like number eight. Ari, number 20. I like that. You do it well. You do well. I feel bad that I'm just treating you like a performing monkey. Like, do an accent for me. Dance. Dance, me little monkey. Dance. (laughs) I actually look like the monkey in this bloody little hat. It's ridiculous. Please do a dancing monkey dance for me for a video for this week's social media, Michelle. Oh, listen, listen to us tittering on, tittering and twittering. We need to welcome our listeners, Michelle. Yes, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eavesdropping, the comedy storytelling podcast with me, Geordie. And me, Michelle. And Michelle. Michelle. And you know what you guys are? You're eavesdroppers. Eavesdropping. Eavesdroppers. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. are eavesdroppers because you are actually in the process of eavesdropping on us, just having a conversation right now. The only difference is we're not in the supermarket. We're not on the bus. We're recording it so that you can legally listen. Well done. That's right. And not have to be embarrassed. Don't be that embarrassed. You're, that you're eavesdropping on us in the charity shop. Which do, is... do we look embarrassed, Michelle? No, do never. we look at look at you sitting there with a jaunty cap on all in green? I know. You're not embarrassed. I actually rarely get embarrassed about anything these days. That's good. It's a good way to be. Honestly, life's too short to be embarrassed. Embarrassed about what? You know? Yeah. Just be you, Michelle. And give joy. Give love. Give joy, give love, give give laughter when you're acting the goat and give murder. <laughs> Michelle, I've got a little uh, listener feedback from last week's episode, which was the investigative deep dive from you, Michelle, about the Calvine funny-looking pyramid in the sky. But the feedback is actually from my part of the intro, which is when we were talking about Jesus might be an alien. <sighs> Yes, we had a few religious um, facts wrong, according to <laughs> according to listener Ray. When I say we, I mean me. I oh, know you as well, actually. Yes, he wanted to correct you. Listener Ray wrote mm. in. He he wanted to correct you about the commandment that you seem to be trying to remember, Michelle, when you were saying "Thou shalt not oogle ogle oogle ogle ogle and and your neighbour." Do you know what? I think it's just like bam bam a bit of. Well, what, what did I do the other day? <laughs> I think you're not allowed to your neighbor's wife. Well, it actually just says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's covet. wife, or as okay. opposed to oogle or ogle. And he also points out that within the same commandment, it says that we should also not covet our neighbor's donkey. That's disgusting. I know. What would you do with the donkey? What I do mean, you think? It's just No, it's not for those reasons, surely. It's just... You know, oh, I want what she's got. Oh, I want what he's got. That donkey, that wife. Geordie, there's already a commandment that says, thou shalt not steal or something. Ray will get in touch if I got that wrong. All right. He's very religious secretly, isn't he? Oh, my goodness. Who knew? You know, he's so rock and roll, but really it's a rock and roll religious nut. 
<laughs> no, he's not enough. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. He also says that there'll be lots of other people writing in, but he is actually the one and only who's written in this week to say that Jesus had 12 apostles or yes. good friends, as I called them. <laughs> but how many did I say he had? I don't know. I must have got it wrong. Apologies. <laughs> apologies. And if you are religious, apologies as well, because we were basically saying, well, we did kind of say that we don't believe in God, don't we? Well, I did. You know, Jesus is an alien. He's an alien or more than one. I think there's legs to that and theory. That Shakespeare wrote the Bible. We came up with all sorts of fast and loose factoids last week, didn't we? we? Did. Controversial too. Controversial. Apologies from me, apologies to you. Why do I always sound so Australian? Guess what happened, Michelle? What? Mystic Meg died. Oh my God, I did see that in the paper and I thought she had a good run. You know? She had a good run. She was 80 when she died, apparently after a short illness. Okay. I wonder if she predicted it coming. I wonder. You've got to wonder, don't you, how good your skills are or if the universe protects you from your death date. That's an interesting thing that you just said there. Oh, the one and only. <laughs> <laughs> Very unusual. <laughs> Unusually, you've said something interesting. though. No, that's not what I meant. But what I wanted to just bring some of the listeners up to speed on was Mystic Meg herself. Some people may not know who she is. She's quite a British phenomenon because yeah. she was in the papers for a long time as, you know, the lady with the crystal ball and the dark bob and the big cape that would do the weekly astrology. And then during the 90s, she was on the very first Lottery Live, the the live oh. lottery draw. When they first had the lottery, they wheeled her out for a 45-second slot each week where she'd attempt to predict the winner. I see a man, he's bald, and I see him winning the big one or whatever. I don't know what she would say. Did she ever get it right? I want to know her hit I rate. I don't know. Mm. I don't know about her hit rate. But she was born Eileen Anderson from a line of Romany gypsies, oh. but she was raised in a house in Lancashire, off-site. When I say off-site, she wasn't on a gypsy traveller's mm -hmm. site. And her grandmother taught her astrology as a child. And then she went on to study English at Leeds University. And then she went on to work at the News of the World as a sub-editor, Michelle, which is like you. Yes, I have you done. You were a subbie. I have done subbing in my time. My goodness. Wow. I could have been on the desk next to Mystic Meg. What, did you work at News of the World? Yeah, I worked everywhere. I freelanced all over the joint. And then she became deputy editor of the Weekend Supplement. Wow. And then from there, she bounced into, in the 80s, she went on to become the regular astrologer, as I said. And that's how we ended up with her on the Lottery Live, week after week after week, and in the everyday vernacular. People would say, who do you think I am? Mystic, Mystic Meg. Meg. Oh, I don't know. I'm not Mystic Meg. <laughs> it's like, forget saying a crystal ball. She became like a hoover. Exactly. You don't say you're vacuuming. Oh, pops with the hoover. <laughs> I don't know what accent that was. So that's your Mystic oh, Meg R.I.P. Mystic Meg. The world will be a less colourful place, less purple. We need more people like Mystic yeah, Meg and Russell Grant. He was great fun too. I don't know where he is. Is he still alive? Don't. I should Google oh, that. I don't know. I don't know who's dead and alive these days. In your bubble. Have you heard from Jen about the wig? I have to say there has been radio silence from Jen. I don't know if Jen's upset that I called her out on the grey wig. 
<laughs> on the short curly, slightly curly, grey wig. It was yeah, I know, Jen. You've got to go through the photo albums because it really was the first time that I had mentally clocked that she had spent money on a wig to make her look grey haired. I, I mean, who does that? Like I said, I have a feeling that she was on the run. <laughs> It was a disguise. Bonnie and Jen. Not Thelma and Louise. It was Bonnie and Jen. She was preparing to pick up her panties and go. Oh, Jen. Look, I don't know if I've upset you with the grey wig talk. Apologies if we have. Second week. We can't get over it. We can't move past the grey wig. quite something. I mean, I'm still shocked at my mum having an exact replica of her own hair in wig form. Look, Jen, I'm going to have to get in touch with you to get to the bottom of this I actually even wanted to just check I had my memory right about that it's just a lot who else would have it I mean what's what an incredible memory to have but who even makes grey wigs I've seen grey wigs I've seen them all right because who's buying that <laughs> I always go for the complete opposite to my own hair like a a mystic meg style bob I used to have a black bob and I've got a short black wig and I've got of course well I did have I think it's gone now my Kate Bush wig long red with a fringe, bit of a wave. God, I loved it. I felt like that wig was the hair I should have been born with. Yeah, I need to top up my wig box. <laughs> Anywho, so what are we talking about today? Michelle will tell everybody it is because we started talking about Mystic Meg. We've decided to dip back into the ever-rich pool of stories about mediums, psychic mediums and how they assist the police in crimes. And they do. It is more common than you think. Very common. And the thing is, you probably don't hear about it that much. No, I don't imagine that you would because, let's face it, it's a bit of a stretch to think that someone who can talk to the dead can help solve a murder. And these investigators, these detectives, they take a risk. They're busy people. Yeah, they are taking a risk. Absolutely. So with that in mind, Michelle, I actually looked into an article from the BBC where journalists had approached a number of police forces after speaking to psychics who claimed that they had information that they'd provided to the various police forces in the country. I'm talking about Great Britain here. And the police had actually acted upon it. Wow. So BBC journalists went in, contacted these police forces, asked them the the hard questions, just like you would as an investigative journalist. (laughs) Tell me, did you act upon this information provided to you by this particular medium? Well... Most of the police forces that were asked were rather ambiguous about their responses. But a spokesman for the Met, which is the London's Metropolitan Police, said, we welcome any information from people who feel they are able to assist. So, again, quite ambiguous, kind of neither here nor there. And quite general, because you think about it, on all of these appeals to the public for information, you get crackpots. You do. Yes. And you get people saying, I murdered this person. They're giving fake yeah. leads. So, you know, the police do have a hard job. They've got to sift through a lot They've of rubbish. got to sort the wheat from the chaff. Mm. Exactly. This spokesman also said, we are unaware of any inquiries significantly progressed solely by information provided by a psychic medium. Now, look, I think that's tough. I think that's a tough thing to say because as we have discussed in the past, Police often use psychics as a tool 
not as their main source. They couldn't really, because how can they prove things? I mean, how can you just stumble upon things? Mm. And I think we've got to look at the wording there in that statement. Solely? Yes. So obviously they've got other things like their traditional policing methods. Of course. That's what uh, you have to take with that one. And a former Scotland Yard man also was on this in this article from the BBC. He now practices as a medium and he says... I think the police are sceptical, but they have a right to be so because some mediums and psychics make false claims. Mm. But ultimately, officers don't mind where the evidence comes from as long as it proves or disproves the case. Look, I think he's right. You have to think, why are these mediums giving false info? Is it just because they want notoriety? It could be. Book sales, you know, more followers on Instagram. Or perhaps they're just inclined that way perhaps they have a certain amount of saying what's the word I'm looking for I want to be sensitive when I say this but they want to be the center of attention yeah perhaps I'm not saying that's for sure that's real I don't know people's motives but it's something worth considering and we hear it eavesdrop and we have open minds people don't we open minds and you have to honestly to have a podcast that's got Real life, true crime, supernatural. You've got to have a little bit of yes. an open mind. You've got to think that aliens could come. <laughs> Me. Well, the view of Dr. Kieran O'Keefe from Derby University is not the same as uh, the former Scotland Yard man. He did 10 years of research into psychic detectives and he has unearthed zero scientific <laughs> proof that psychic mediums are useful in any police investigations. And he said to the BBC... My advice to psychics is to stop providing information to the police. He says that it is difficult for police officers to ignore any information. And he said that some details that are passed on by psychic mediums are simply diverting budget and manpower away from genuine investigation. He has a point. The thing is, sometimes, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, You, in particular, had one or two particular mediums who absolutely nailed it and were so important in investigations, uncovering bodies lost for decades, you know, crimes solved. And look, I get what this guy said about, yes, it does divert money, time and mental thought away from investigations. It's 50-50. No one knows whether this medium and the information is spot on or a load of And the only way you're going to know is to give it a go. And I think that they have as much right for their claims to be investigated as someone who's just calling up, oh, I heard a guy down the pub saying this. Sure. But isn't it sad that the budget for police forces or the manpower is such that they can't devote full teams to investigating, especially, say, the Metropolitan Police, Mm. because they would be just under so much pressure with more than one crime coming across their desk at a time. It's not bloody, you know, Shipton Abbott, which is (laughs) this made-up town in, where is it, in Devon. I'm watching it at the moment. It's one of those lovely, gentle detective cases where it's a bit like Doc Martin. He gets moved to a little town with his wife and one crime happens a week but they're not murders no one dies hang on so what, what's this series called beyond paradise because i think he was in the one where they go to the caribbean it's the same guy we call it daddy because he looks like my children's father oh the man in the <laughs> it's the guy from the bt ads his name's chris 
I can't remember his last name, but he's an actor. He was in my family back in the 90s. Very tall, goofy, ruffled, dirty blonde hair, <laughs> uh, kind of wearing a suit jacket and a shirt. And the kids are like, there's daddy. It does sound quite like your husband. I have to give it a go. I'll link that up. It's a nice, gentle remedy to hard and fast zombie style TV shows <laughs> yeah. if you want a little break. Anyway, going back to what we were talking about, in addition to this research that was done into psychic mediums, the Ministry of Defence have had to publicly admit to spending £18,000 in 2007 carrying out secret tests to find out whether psychic powers could be used to detect hidden objects. Did you know this? No. It was similar to the US military Stargate experiments. Have we talked about that before? I think we have, actually. We've talked about the US ones or something Stargate. very similar. Yeah, for sure. I'll... I'll dig back into that trying to harness psychic ability mm. and using it in the war against war <laughs> <laughs> in warfare at the time back in 2007 a spokesman for the ministry of defense said that the study had found that there was little value in using the technique in the defense of the nation let's not forget also that there's been use of brainwashing and mk ultra yep that was a something that was used or trying to be utilised, like trying to have a sleeper agent that could suddenly click into action when they heard a certain word, having their minds broken down and rebuilt again, and then they would just go off and find themselves in a situation undetected because they don't even know themselves. They're there to murder someone or to yeah. assassinate. Bizarre. Awful. Well, anyway, there's a podcast and a TV report, but it's back from the early 2000s, and it's from Donal McIntyre on this subject. So I think it's 2009. So maybe we'll find the link for that. Soz. <laughs> also in this article, there was a psychic called Joe Power who was involved in the story. And he told the BBC that there was no doubt that he and others will continue to play a role in solving crime. And he says, I predict that in the next 30 to 40 years, you will actually get people like me who will find bodies. There's no question about it. The psychic world is moving on very fast and getting more accurate with the information all the time. Now. That was all back in 2000s, you know, pre-2010, this mm -hmm. article. Nicola Bully, she was a 45-year-old mother, wife, mortgage advisor. She went missing this year, 2023, on January 27th, whilst on her morning dog walk along the River Wire, which is in Lancashire, in a small village called St. Michael's. You will have heard of it, Michelle, because yes. you were here when that was all going on. Her family lived in that village, and she just dropped her kids off at school before arriving for her usual dog walk. And whilst on the walk, she sat down on a bench by the river and she logged into a work call at about one minute past nine. Her phone was then found about half an hour later by a dog walker on the bench, still connected to the work meeting that she'd been on minutes before. And her dog was pacing between the gate to a nearby field and the bench where the phone was found. Mm. Apparently... You know, I did think, oh, perhaps the dog had gone into the water and she tried to rescue it, but it was fast flowing and she was, or maybe she tripped and fell and hit her head and was unconscious. Well, the dog was bone dry and he was running around without his harness or lead, which is fair enough because she'd taken him on a walk. She'd taken him all the stuff off and let the doggy run free, which is what I do. Nicola, sadly, her whereabouts remained a mystery for three weeks while police and rescuers searched the surrounding areas and Armchair sleuths got involved, as you've probably heard as well, Michelle. They descended on this peaceful village, hoping to help with a sighting or a clue. But not everyone was helpful. They were hindrances and the police had to issue a dispersal order, wow. which meant that people can just fuck off, please. <laughs> 
Also, there was trolls. There were people accusing the husband. There were people accusing friends and family who were on the news reports talking to reporters were being vilified and every single movement and twitch was being interpreted as lies. She's responsible. He's responsible. The country was up in arms and people were getting involved. Yeah, I do remember there was a plea from the family because... Leave us the fuck alone. Leave us the fuck alone because it had come out that she'd had an affair, she had an alcohol no, problem. Who even knows Menopause, if it's true? All sorts of things were coming out. Yeah. Whether it was coming from the police or not, it was just unnecessary for the public to know these details. Here's us talking about it on a podcast, but there's a reason... <laughs> There was also people online, you know, trolling, conspiracy theorists, making their families pain so much worse. And then there were the ghost hunters and the mediums that got involved, Michelle. In fact, there was a ghost hunting trio called The Real 4S Paranormal. They live streamed a seance across their social media channels showing a picture of Nicola alongside dozens of creepy dolls. What? Yeah. And in the video, one of the team asked the dolls, who took this lady spirit? (laughs) while asking them to show whether she was still alive by lighting up a spirit box. I don't know what that is. Later in the video, another member says she thinks it was arranged and asks, is she in the woods? And the post also shows a bird's eye view of an abandoned house near the scene before asking whether the police need to go back there. Other questions include things like, was there more than one person that took her? And can you tell us if she's passed away, spirits? But the real 4S paranormal group attempted then to defend themselves because people were beside themselves when they saw this video. They claimed that they weren't trying to jump on the bandwagon. They were just doing some of their own investigations to see if the spirits had answers. But another ghost hunter, Lindsay Steer, went on record to say that she saw that and found it disgusting and said this, no doubt that mediums have gone down to that place, but to post this on Facebook for views, do it in private. She's right. Because can you imagine the poor family seeing that? Just someone trying to, you know, boost their Instagram followers or their Facebook likes. It's it's quite foul. That's exactly what Lindsay Steers says. They're just trying to get views. They're not helping anyone. But three weeks later, Michelle, this woman was missing all this time. The family are beside themselves. There's no trace of her whatsoever. The police are searching all the area. People are down there daily filming, posting, whatever. I'm talking about people, members of the public. Well, three weeks later, a dog walker discovered Nicola's remains in the river or near the river or on the bank. I'm not 100% sure. Only a mile away from where she vanished. And this dog walker didn't actually have a dog with him. Oh. And his name is Jason Dean Rothwell. And he describes himself as a psychic medium and tarot card reader. Okay. He posts on his Instagram page, which I now follow saying that it was indeed him who was assisting the police in the search for Nicola. And in his post, he says the following. I would also like to just say a huge thank you to Lancashire Police for their help supporting and the open-mindedness in which they dealt with us following our call. Spiritualists or mediums are obviously not something the police come across every day. Or maybe they do. (laughs) Or maybe they do. And I appreciate the respect given to us both. It is important to mention I was not asked by the police or Nicola's family to become involved in this case. But having seen the wild speculation and hurtful commentary that has been ongoing and having previously assisted in the recovery of Michael Brooks, I decided to use whatever gift it is we mediums possess to try and locate Nicola Bully. Oh. Any questions? My God. I mean, this guy found the body. 
he found her yes. when no one else had in three weeks. Yes. So he's got something. And also that little grenade, he's done it before with some other guy called yeah. Michael. I need to know who Michael Brooks is. Well, I can tell you. Thank God. I need, I need to know. Michael Brooks was a 19-year-old young man. His mother was a single mother and he had brothers. He went missing one night in a river in a place called Pentwortham in Preston, Lancashire. Right. So far, every single person I've discussed on this podcast today is Lancashire-based. Mystic Meg, Nicola Bully, Jason Dean Rothwell, I'm assuming, must be from the North. He has a Northern accent. And he found two bodies in Lancashire. Holy shit. Can you do a Lancashire accent? <laughs> no. No. No, I can't. <laughs> no. So going back to Michael. The night before... Michael was seen taking a drug called 2CB before meeting up with a friend of a friend in the pub. This friend of a friend was called Connor Rishton. Now, 2CB is part of the 2C family of drugs. I looked into it because I'd never heard of it before. They're classed as psychedelics with stimulating effects like speed or coke. Ooh. Not that I know anything about those things. And as hallucinogens... They make you see or hear things that aren't there. Well, that's the nature of a... The nature of a yeah. hallucinogen. So that you'll see the world around you as being distorted, and this is sometimes called visuals, and you'll hallucinate, especially if taken in larger doses. And some 2C family of drugs cause more psychedelic effects than others. So the more you take, the more intense and uncontrollable the experience will be. So back to Connor, his friend, and Michael. Mm -hmm. They took more and more drugs throughout the evening. And then they went to a park in Preston at about 1.20 a.m. in the morning to look at the stars. But then Connor Rishton said that his friend or his friend of a friend, his drug-taking pal or whatever, his drug buddy, disappeared into the night. Oh. All sorts of speculation followed. Witnesses claim that Michael Brooks was forced to jump off the old tram bridge by two oh. men holding knives to pay a drug debt. But there was no other corroboration of that. And in another statement, a man and a woman said they had heard splashing. But when they looked in the water, they couldn't see anything. Okay. Another report was from a man who's referred to as Y in court. Y is in the letter. Confessed to killing him. But investigations revealed that he was in a care home at the time when Michael went missing. Right. So solid alibi. Solid alibi. So poor Michael, he'd been missing for two to three weeks. I couldn't find an actual verifying mm. amount of weeks. Friends, family, Mountain Rescue and Fire Services all searched relentlessly until Michael was eventually found in the river in Lancashire in February 2018, less than a mile from where he vanished. Oh, Similar my God. to Nicola Bully. And I couldn't find any information about the person who found him, mm. but Jason Dean Rothwell claims to be the person who either led the police to the spot where he was eventually found yep. or he found him himself. Wow. But I can't find the info. So listeners, if you're good at research, go ahead and do that. But do you know what? He's not out there bragging about it. And if the police want to keep this on the lowdown, they're not going to say, oh, a psychic led us to the body. They don't want to say that stuff in public. You know, they're not no. going to go to the Independent or whatever newspaper or the Guardian and, and say that because it doesn't make them look good. No, exactly. So if they have to get the word of a, you know, a crackpot or whatever they'd like to call that person, mm. that helps them eventually find, anyway, it doesn't make sense. You're I right. think this is astonishing if this is true. Well, there's a lot of things, a lot of questions for me as well, but I'll tell you what I think in a minute because I just want to round up Michael's story. A post-mortem into his death because we haven't yet heard the post-mortem details of Nicola Bully. We don't know right. anything more about her. Now it's gone quiet. 
but a post-mortem into Michael Brooks's death revealed he had drowned but did not find any other signs of injury. So coroner James Newman recorded an open verdict stating there are two very polar opposite accounts of how Michael had gone into the river. Mm. So no one was charged it could, it's just open. It could, yeah. I mean, it could just be misadventure rather than foul play. It could be, but I want you to think. I mean, you're very much on the psychic side here, Michelle. Mm. But as noted in some trolley kind of comments in on Twitter that I found, I am wondering myself where Michael was found is about forty minutes drive from St Michael's on the Wire in Lancashire. And you've just got to wonder. It's just. The same person found two people under very similar circumstances. Yeah, well, is he, is he, is he the, the guy killer? that did it? Is he, is he a serial killer who's just killing? I'm sure he's not. And forgive us, Jason, for speculation. But that's what people are saying. But how can you Some not? Some people. Well, do you know what? It did cross my mind that this guy found two bodies, very similar circumstances. Come on. Is he involved somehow? Because this is what the police also do. A husband finds the wife murdered. Husband becomes prime suspect number one. This guy found two bodies. Come on, it makes sense that you do have to at least put a little bit of investigation into this. Possibly. And I'm sure the police Just are doing their jobs. Just to rule him out. Just to Just rule, to rule him, him out. out. Absolutely. But meanwhile, on Jason's entertaining Instagram <laughs> posts, yeah. he likes a bit of meditation. And I found this wonderful post where he tells everybody that you can all be mediums. It's really easy. All you need to do is be open to it. And you'll often see random pictures in your minds, even emojis, and you've got to be intuitive to those and take the hints. So what you'd do is you'd sit there nice and quiet with your person in the room and you'd say, who would like to come forward? Mm -hmm. You'd ask that question out loud. And perhaps you'll think, okay, so who'd like to come forward? I'm looking at you, Michelle. I'm trying to think. And perhaps I'll feel the energy of a man or even see a man. And I'll ask, who are you in my mind, possibly? And he may show me a picture or I'll see a, a picture in my mind of my granddad. So I'll know it's a grandfather. So I'll say, oh, got your granddad here, Michelle. And I'll ask him in my mind, how did you depart? How did you depart? And I might see him clutching at his chest or a man dying of a heart attack or a, or a heart or some sort of image in my mind. And I'll go, right, that's a heart attack. So I've got your, I've got your granddad here, Michelle. He died of a heart attack. And I'm thinking, okay, next question. How did you die? I'll ask that in my mind, and he may show me a bunch of tulips, for example, which to me oh. would be Easter time or April time or spring time. So I'll say, he died in the spring. He died in April time, around mm -hmm. spring time. And you'll go, yes, yes, that's right. He died on my birthday, <laughs> the 19th of April. So that's right as well. And then I'll ask which side of the family in my mind, which side of the family does he relate to? And he might show me a picture of my mum. So I'll know that it's on your mum's side of the family. Right. So I've got all this information to hand. Show me a memory. I might see him sitting on a bench with an ice cream or somebody sitting or a bench and an ice cream. And I'll go, a favorite memory of his is the time that you guys were sitting on a bench with an ice cream. So there you go. You've got all the information. And that's how you become a psychic. Is it really that simple? Because honestly, you have to join up a lot of dots. You have to practice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give it a bash. Give it Try a whirl. Why wow. not? Real life. Real life. True crime. True crime. Real Wow. Have you tried it? No. <laughs> no. But I might. I'll try it. I mean, I do get images in my head sometimes and everybody does. You just yeah. kind of sweep them away and think that's not relevant. But maybe we need to be more in touch with our subconscious. 
And dreams, you know, I've been having similar dreams with someone who I haven't thought about for years in the dream and you just think, hmm, I wonder what's going on with that. Have you reached out? Maybe nothing, maybe something. No, no, no reaching out. I don't reach out. No, it's it's interesting. And, you know, I often do think that there are clues. I often get life signs from song lyrics. Life signs? What does that mean? Well, you know, I will be thinking about something and then a song that will suddenly be oh. audible to me, like either on the radio or I walk into a shop or it's somehow playing and it's the exact thing I need to hear in that moment or it's it connects some way to what I'm thinking about. So, And then I think, ah, oh, that's what that is. Okay. And it's like an affirmation. I do get things like that as well. Yeah. The other day I was walking in the park with my dog and kids. And I was thinking about a friend of mine who I haven't seen for a little while. Mm -hmm. She's local. She's my neighbor and her children. And and we're all very close. And I have a bag of clothes for her daughter. And I thought, you know what I'll do? When I get home, I'll take that bag around and I'll go and give that bag to that family. And then I heard, Johnny, in the moment of that thought. And I turned around and, and she was there. The little girl was there. Yep. It's bizarre. And her dad. That stuff happens all the time. Well, it's interpretation, isn't it? You could just think it's coincidence or chance, or you could see it as some kind of, you had a weird premonition that you would see, but you didn't realize it was. It's all interpretation. Absolutely. The Nicola Bully story is really fascinating because it was such a talking point. Yes. And very recent. And I wasn't keen to talk about it because it has been on everybody's radar Mm. and that family need to grieve and need to get over what happened whatever happened Mm. she was very much not only the victim of an accident or a crime or whatever but this modern day way of looking at crimes yeah where everybody gets involved only murders in the building style yeah it's just easier it's easier to connect these days because of social media and online groups bloody podcasts yeah you can find if, if you have an interest in sleuthing You will find your tribe who is also interested in doing that and you can band together, share information. This kind of thing, you know, back in 1994 wasn't possible. Did not exist. No. No. And I'm going to take you back to 1994 today. Ooh. Because I have a little psychic investigator story to share with you. Fantastic. We love it when you investigate things, Michelle, because you're very good at it, as we found out last week. Yeah, I try. I try. Although I did get it wrong about Jesus and the commandments anyway. But like I said, 1994, and i got to love the 90s, really. You've got to love the 90s. Got to love them. Got to love them. I did. I loved them. I love my flanny. I loved I love my 1994. Flanny shirt, anyway. Night dress. I used to go out, out and about in a night dress or lingerie. Yes, lingerie. It was all a thing. I had many shifts, yeah. little slips that I would wear out. Nothing to do with that. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about a guy called Robert Corley. Now, this is in Columbus, Ohio, in Jackson Township, little tiny place, January 14th, so winter. And Robert went to visit his parents both of whom were in their 60s. He'd just been to a hockey game because, you know, I guess he was into hockey. When he got there, he found his father, Charles, and his mother, Lois, dead in their home, stabbed to death. And Lois was lying in the kitchen and Charles was lying in the living room. And bizarrely, both of them still had their coats on, as if they'd just walked through the door and hadn't yet 
taken their coats off. Both bodies were covered in blood and both had been stabbed loads of times and they'd both died of, of stab wounds. Oh, that's horrific. The weird thing was there was a BB gun, a video recorder, Remember, we're talking 90s. A calculator, yeah, and other weird things stacked. Little clues. Yeah, and they were all kind of stacked by the front door. In the 90s, those things were valuable back then, you know. Mm. A video recorder, BB gun calculators, you know, they were, you know, medium to high ticket items. And there was broken glass on the back steps because it looked as if someone had actually smashed a window at the back of the house and broken in. To gain entry, mm. right. So basically, to all intents and purposes, it looked like a burglary gone wrong. You know, mm. that Charles and Lois had been in the wrong place at the wrong time and had gone home and caught the burglars in the act of, you know, ransacking their house and had paid for that mistake with their lives. Look, the murder of this couple sent shockwaves through their small community and it wasn't long before a guy called Detective Jack Scott opened up a murder investigation into what really went down that night. It seems there were a few question marks over some of the details. So it seems that Charles, the dad who had got murdered, he was a big guy. He was strong, heavy build, and he probably could have taken on attackers and defended himself, even though he was in his 60s. He was kind of built. And he was the kind of guy who would have put up a fight against whoever was trying to, you know, rob his house and harm him and his wife. When the investigators examined the house in detail, the burglary attempt looked quite shit, as if it could have been like first-time burglars just giving it a go at the Corley's house. And the police pretty quickly came to the conclusion that whoever was trying to burgle the place was super inexperienced and did not know what they were doing. They didn't know how to burgle a house. It did look like they were interrupted in the middle of the robbing by Charles and Lois. Mm. You know, the murder was pretty brutal. So Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, really. I, should I have given a trigger? I didn't go into super um, big details. Sorry, guys, if <laughs> you were late. triggered. I'm sorry, it's too late. Lots of blood Whoops. and stabbings. Yeah. When was this again? 94. 94. 1994. That's not the song. <laughs> the police... Went to all the neighbours, you know, they were checking out police reports from that night to see if anything suspicious had been reported, but they'd hit a wall, Geordie. No one had seen anything out of the ordinary that night, so leads were thin on the ground. The police had pretty much nothing to go on, Mm. and after a few months, the case went cold. The investigator, Zach Scott, decided to talk to the Corley family to see if anyone could help with any info, big or small. And like we talked about earlier, of course, the first person they questioned was Robert Corley, the son who had been the first on the scene that night and who had called the police. It seems his alibi was watertight. You know, he said he'd asked to borrow some tools from his dad a few days earlier, but hadn't heard anything from his parents all weekend. So after the hockey game, he just thought, oh, I'll just pop over and grab these tools. Thing is, the police, after kind of the bodies had been taken to you know for forensics they sort of came to the conclusion that Charles and Lois weren't killed the night that Robert had gone round and discovered them lying on the floor in fact they reckon the Corleys were killed the night before Robert went to the house would they not have coroner to be able to back that theory time of death yes 
And I think the coroner did say it was the day before. Okay. And and actually, I'm just looking at my notes now. He hadn't gone to the hockey game on the night he found them. Sorry. Uh, he'd gone round there because he hadn't he hadn't heard from his right. parents. No hockey game. No, the hockey game was the night before. Okay. When the police said, well, okay, so you've gone round to pick up some tools and yeah. say hi to your parents. Where were you the night before? And that's when he'd been to the okay, hockey game. Sorry, you. sorry. Right. And it had finished and uh, he'd just gone home after this hockey game, yeah. not to the parents' house. Sorry, you're confused. I'm confused. We're all confused. That's what happens <laughs> on eavesdropping. Fast and loose facts here, people. There was nothing out of the ordinary, apparently, the night before because, you know, the wife corroborated the story. Uh, it was proven that he'd been at the hockey game. So, you know, Robert was off the hook. Okay. So after he was eliminated as a suspect – the police decided to look for other links to break-ins in the area and were there any patterns or other burglaries that could give them a clue. But when they dug into it, there was nothing. No leads, nothing. And the case was just getting colder by the day and it was dragging on and on. And they knew that the longer it went on without any fresh leads, the harder it was going to get to crack Mm. this case. So the police really needed someone to come forward with any kind of information or lead so they could have something to investigate. But again, there was literally nothing, not from the public, not from forensics or anything. I mean, it was just cold. Even worse, it was just, it was heading to the deep freeze, Geordie, you know, because they had nothing to go on until one day Detective Jack Scott gets a call from Tanner Hoy, who is a local psychic who called up offering to help them try and find the killer of Charles and Lois Corley. All right. And look, so Tanner Hoy, who is actually a dude, because I thought Tanner sounded like a female name. Tanner. T-A-N-A. Or Tana. 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 Tana Hoy. I don't know how you actually say it. Sorry. Sorry, Tana. Tana. Well, he met with Detective Scott. And in fact, he'd sort of known him from around. Okay. Locals. And he'd always said, listen, if I ever get any visions or any psychic leads, you know, I'll be in touch because that's what I do. And he said, you know, he wanted to give back to the community. Yeah. The day that Tanner called Zach to offer his help in the case, he kind of had this feeling that nothing was coming forward. And Detective Zach decided to give Tanner a go and agreed to sort of help him uh, with information and that they should work on the case together to see yeah. if anything could come out of it. Why not? Yeah, because like we talked about earlier, you know, as a detective, on the one hand, you have to be pretty vigilant about sorting out the dud leads and the murder hangers on from the real leads. Yeah. And you do have to be pretty open-minded about working with a psychic because it is kind of crazy to think that they, out of thin air, could have information that could be useful he sort of went with it and they started working together because I mean at that stage the police were desperate you know they had nothing so the police sent Tana or Tana a few of the crime scene photos to look at and honestly Geordie I was thinking about that I don't know how grisly the photos were yeah Dan the postie would not want to misdeliver That kind of mail. Can you imagine? You're like, oh, it's a mail. And you open it up and you see those crime scene photos. Awful. 
I saw this YouTube video where Tana was talking about this case. Okay. And he's holding crime scene photos in his hands. You don't see it. Okay, good. It's blurred. But he says that it's like he becomes the victim. Oh, no. Like an empath. Yes. It's like he becomes that person and he can feel their emotions and their impressions. no. I'd hate that. It's worse than watching a zombie movie. Yeah, because he said it's almost like he sees through their eyes. Oh, God, I'd hate that. It'd be awful. I just, you know, on one hand, it's a gift. On one hand, what a curse. He's holding these crime scene photos in his hands with Charles and Lois all stabbed up. Yeah. Yeah. And he sees this figure in his mind, a dark figure. Hmm. And the figure is inside the Corley's house. Tana can't see the face of the guy, but it's definitely a guy and he can see that he's by himself. Right. In that moment, Tana said he knew that there was not more than one person involved in this crime. Okay. And that the motivation through the feelings he was receiving, the motivation of the person, you know, stabbing up this couple, it was personal. Oh, dear. That indicates that Corley's knew their killer. Yeah. But the police think the couple were killed by at least two people from a bungled burglary. Because there's two of them. And it does make me think that. Like you would hear if there were two people in the house, they had their coats on ready to go out. Or come home. Or coming home. You'd hear, wouldn't you, somebody being stabbed to death and you'd come to their rescue. Of course. And you'd overpower. If he'd probably go for the man first, the woman would probably run from the house or try and help or I don't know. You just never know. You never know. Well, like I said, the police really thought there were two people who were involved. They really felt strongly that the evidence did point towards two perps. So they were not buying into what Tana was saying. Basically, Tana is, is saying it's a lone killer who committed a double murder. And look, despite what Tana was telling them, that it's not a burglary, that the perpetrator was one person who killed both of both Charles and Lois. And it was someone close to the couple who had a lot of resentment and anger towards Mm. Charles and Lois. And he sort of felt that it was someone that no one really suspected. Well, the police were hearing all this, but they were still insisting that it was a burglary by two experienced burglars that went wrong. Do you know what this is reminding me of? What? White House Farm. Oh, Jeremy Bamba. Yes. Put a pin in that. Then Tanner has a vision. He sees a little boy, but he can't figure out what the little boy wants or what he's trying to show him. But this Mm. little boy has blood on his hands and he's moving around the house and he's moving things around and he's breaking a window because he gets this feeling that he doesn't want anyone to know that it's him who's just killed Charles and Lois. But in Tanner's vision, he sees this figure And it's sort of a child, it's sort of a figure breaking a window, but the person is breaking it from the inside. White House Farm. Yep. And this vision is so strong that Tanner contacts Detective Jack and urges the police to take another look at the crime scene photos to see if there are any clues that they might have missed. So Detective Zach agrees to take another look at the pictures. And this time around, and maybe with Tanner's vision and words in his mind, he suddenly starts to realise that the pictures look less and less like an actual burglary and more like a staged burglary. Staged, yeah. 
And when he re-examines the pictures of the window that Tanner had mentioned in his vision, he then realises there is more glass on the outside of the broken window frame outside the house than inside the house. And then he was like, yep, Tanner's right. The window most likely had been smashed by someone already in the house, house. not someone breaking it to get into the house from the outside in. So the thing is, Geordie, if that is true, then they're not looking at a burglary gone wrong, but by a murder with someone probably with a motive. Because the only reason someone would stage a burglary is to just try and put the cops off the scent and that it wasn't randoms that killed the couple. And instead, the police were more and more inclined to think that Charles and Lois knew their killer. Tanner's insights into the case, you know, really did put the police on a whole new track of inquiry. And like we said before, you know, whether or not at this point Tanner's information is solid and real, he was instrumental as a tool to start making them look at the crime scene photos again, to look at a new sort of track of investigation. And they started looking deeper into the couple's life. And, you know, they went, they were finding out whether or not the couple had any enemies, um, if there was someone they didn't get along with. But the more they dug into it, the more they, they found that everyone just loved them. No one had a bad word to say about this. And so they were kind of stumped. And they had no clue who might want to harm this, you know, lovely older couple. Essentially, they were back to square one. No prime suspect, no leads. And the case again went cold. Until Tanner started getting new visions and new impressions, I know, about these murders. Tanner did talk a little bit about the way he receives these images. And he says that what he does is he thinks about, in this case, the Corleys, and then he just leaves his mind open. And he Ooh. just goes about his everyday life, but with it in the back of his mind that he wants to receive information about the murder. And that he sort of tells the universe that he's open to receiving images or feelings or thoughts about it. With that in mind, one day, Tanner, he's just out and about, walking around Columbus, and he sees a little boy sitting on a park bench and he is immediately for real for real just a little kid sitting on a on a park bench but it triggers something and he's immediately struck by a voice that says I just want to be happy like all the other kids but I'm not (gasps) and he gets this feeling of like violence and anger oh they were oh I know where this is going yeah and then he sees a child's writing on a chalkboard and he's doing a hangman And you know that game where you write the letters down and you have to guess a word. If you don't guess it, you get a stick man hanging from the gallows, right? Yes, you have a violent end if you don't get it right. Yeah. Good good message to teach our kids. I don't think we play that anymore, do we? I don't think so, but it's actually quite a good game. So that's what he sees on this chalkboard. And it's the stick man, you know, hanging. And underneath is the word daddy. Oh, fuck. And in that moment, Hannah says, I know who killed. Yes, so do I. Yeah, I know. It it was Robert, (laughs) right? So Hannah goes to the police and talks to the detective Jack and says, it's the son. And the police are like, wow, that's really interesting because we've actually got a few suspicions around that guy as well now. 
course. Yeah. And Robbie becomes prime suspect number one and mm-hmm. things start falling into place because, you know, they suspect the burglary is staged, not by actual thieves. You know, no one that night had reported hearing anything suspicious, no screaming or anything. So Charles and Lois obviously let their killer in because the window was smashed from the inside out, faked. Uh, mm. And apparently over the course of the investigation, Robert Corley's behavior was a bit off. And apparently one of the key behaviors of the family of murder victims is that they keep in touch with the police. They want to know how the investigation's going. Are there any fresh leads? You know, all that kind of thing. But hang on, wouldn't normal grieving families who had nothing to do with the murder be wanting the same information and be contacting? Exactly. Family members, friends, you know, police get a lot of Are you saying he wasn't doing that? No. Oh, I see. He had no interest in the case. Right. Yeah. And they found that really suspicious. Robert made no effort to call the police, wasn't interested in how the investigation is going. So when Tanner calls and says, listen, like zero in on Robert, the police like, okay, let's go find this guy. So when they did try and get him back in for questioning, Robert had vanished. Oh, he'd moved away from Columbus. Oh. God knows what is what he told his wife. Oh. And the police are like, shit, is this a killer on the run? Through some investigation, they finally managed to track down that Robert had gone after the murders to New York, then to Washington, then to Phoenix. And then he was holed up in Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. where they made a plan to talk to him about the murders. The thing is, though, they had no evidence. Just some some suspicions. So they had to tread really lightly. Mm. Uh, So they knew that if they were going to get this guy, they were going to get it on a confession, not really on evidence. Yeah. So they contacted Tana again to talk to him about whether or not he had any further, you know, visions or premonitions. And Tana did have a vision. He said, listen, this was not a moment of insanity. Planned. It was a long-held resentment yeah. and pain and hurt that he carried towards his father since childhood. He was tuning into the energy of Robert and he said that he had the feeling that Robert felt that he had never lived up to his father's expectations or had his father's approval. You know, the police thought that Tanner, you know, was pretty much on the money. So they fly out to Houston. Robert actually agrees to speak with them. Right. And during the questioning, he keeps insisting, listen, it's not me. I don't have any further info for you. I don't know anything about the murder. And the interview goes on for nine hours. Oh. Yeah. It's a long time. And then after nine hours, he starts to change his story. And he says that, yes, he went to see his parents after the hockey game. And that's when things turned ugly. And there's a tape recording Mm. that I actually heard of Robert saying suddenly, you know, his dad was screaming at him and saying he was a failure and no good. And then he confesses. He says he stabbed his dad first and he stabbed his dad in the stomach. And his mum tried to intervene and stop the fight. But as she was trying to get away, uh, he accidentally stabbed his mother. Right. Accidentally. Wasn't there hundreds of stab wounds? Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, think of that what you will. And Robert Corley is, you know, then has a trial, he's charged and he's sentenced he's sentenced to twenty five years. Okay. Tanner solved the case. Well done, Tanner. Tana. Whatever your name Tana. is, Tanner Hoy. Or did he? Or did he? Why? Yes. Because for the whole time Robert was in jail, 
yeah. for the murder of his parents. Yeah. He maintained his innocence, oh, Shorty. Sh- okay, but so does Jeremy Bamber. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. And look, in fact, he reckons that his 1996 confession... Yes, was coerced. Yep. He says it was coerced by investigators. Nine hours. Yep. Obviously, the jury had heard the tape recordings and the confession. Mm. He insisted, like, you need to look into this. It needs to be overturned. And he managed to get his thoughts and, and his plea in front of a judge. Okay. Who ruled in January 2012 that Robert was entitled to a new trial because his defense attorney had created a conflict of interest by having an affair with Robert's wife <gasps> ah! before, during and after the trial. Oh, my God. It's like a bloody sitcom. Not a sitcom. I know. A it's TV like a, show. Well, it's not a rom-com, I'll tell you that much. Dallas. And look, rather than going through a second jury trial, Robert was released after accepting a deal worked out by the Ohio... Ohio Ohio. We have said that before. Stilettas. Ohio. Ohio Stiletta. Ohio Public Defender's Office and the county prosecutor. Actually, he entered this thing called an Alford plea on two counts of voluntary manslaughter with the understanding that he could apply for probation after six months. And in an Alford plea, it means that the person doesn't admit guilt, but does concede that prosecutors have you know, enough evidence to get a conviction. And do you know what? He got released. Oh. He got released. I mean, he did do 17 years. Okay. But he's released and he's a free man. Now, they also discovered that there were two other, apparently, um, two other people who were people of interest that were never properly investigated. And I have tried to find out who these were people were and what that evidence was it's nowhere but the upshot here is okay if he really did get released and there's a question mark over whether or not he did kill his parents or did he just get off because his defense attorney was shagging his wife and it was a technicality I don't know so Tanner it's now in question too whether or not his his psychic leads were the real deal it's not open and shut it's not so do you know what it's actually quite an unsatisfying case and i'm yes that's where we have to leave it (laughs) well it's a good place to leave it michelle because it's kind of where i left mine as Mm. well are psychic investigators legit yeah sometimes maybe or they just lucky or are they just really good at being intuitive or Possibly, are they responsible for the crimes in the first place? I mean, I don't know. That's really outrageous, that claim, and I feel bad just saying it. It's quite a stretch. It's a stretch, but I think people, you have to let your mind wander there because it is a bit of a coincidence. Yeah, it is. But hey-ho, I'm not accusing anyone of being a killer. No, I mean... Just for the record. <laughs> so don't come after me. The, the similarities between the two cases that I've raised were, you know, the location, the missing for the same amount of time... And water being involved, it's just a lot. But then maybe that's just how Jason Rothwell works with water and location and, you know. It's a speciality, speciality, exactly. One good thing to remember is that psychics are taken seriously by police at times. Often, often not. Often are, often aren't. But it's good to know that the government and Ministry of Defence have actually put money into investigating whether or not these are things that are unseen and unproven at times, psychic ability, are actually 
legitimate. It's got legs. It's got legs. It's got legs. And do you know what, Jordy? I've got legs and I've got to use them because I've got to wrap this up. Wrap it right up, Michelle. <laughs> you know what? It's time to go. Just remember, everybody, wherever you are and whatever you do, just, just keep, keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.